Hey, you. Frightened, angry human. Your feelings are real and valid, and you are not crazy. Nor are you alone. I've still got fight left in me. And I'll never run out of love because you can't. You can't run out of love. Love is inexhaustible. This is not the end, but maybe you need a break. And maybe all of your exhaustion is compounded by feelings of guilt that you don't deserve a break, that you must keep fighting. But I say unto you, your brain and your soul are worth caring for. You can take a beat. You can release any guilt you feel. I've got this one. That's our secret. We belong to each other. When you are weak, I can be strong. I know you will do the same for me when the time comes. When you're ready to return, just look for the banner. I'll be waving it. And FYI, it'll probably be a rainbow flag. To recap, your feelings are valid. You are not alone. Love is inexhaustible. Care for yourself. No guilt. No shame. I've got you. And this is so not the end. Conversations for the Godless. I'm Matthew Blake. And I'm Karen Thurston. Welcome to Heathen. I don't listen to you at all because I have to try to keep my shit together for this entire evening. And I'm like, tune out. Look at pictures. I don't it's know. Fun. I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know that shit is going to be kept together. Uh, we can do it. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh. Hi, heathens. Hi, heathens. Okay, so it's been a week. It's been a week a lot lately. That is a thing that I find myself saying <laughs> on a lot of Fridays. So frequently. It's been a week. But it's been a week. This has been a, a rough week. Um, it's been a, a, well, how to differentiate this week in the history of weeks, because I was going to say it's been an onslaught of political mayhem, but mm. so have many other weeks. Yeah. Um, this one's been, I think, pretty brutal. Yeah, it has been. I, I was telling you earlier, one of the things that um, for me has distinguished this week is that I have a feeling in my body that I haven't felt since 
felt this strongly mm-hmm. since um, election night 2016. Yeah. Um, and that night I had a feeling that I had never experienced before in that way. Um, that was the first time I ever felt in my gut the way I felt that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was akin to other feelings, but it was also singular. It was also unique. Yeah. Um, the, and it, I, you know, it's the thing that we now know has led to this wake awakening, this waking up, this being woke state that so many of us have come into um, since we realized that our country is not what not what we not what we believed it to be um, in in so much as it's not the safe and um, like it's not it, the equality isn't real. Like that was one of the things I learned that night, right? Like we, and I knew that on a cerebral intellectual level, but that night you got to feel it and you really got to experience it through the eyes of so many other people. Yeah. And I don't know, that feeling that night was not a feeling I ever wanted to (laughs) encounter again. Um, But it also is the feeling that has driven me. Yeah. These past, it's not two years yet, but it feels like a lot longer. Yeah, I think there's a heavy disillusionment that kind of factors into that. And then also just, I think especially when you are innately hopeful as a human, when you're oriented toward hope, which I think a lot of us are, I think especially like if you were brought up kind of in the culture that we grew up in, like there's this really strong, stubborn orientation toward this like relentless, relentless optimism, right? Optimism. And I think every once in a while we're just walloped by this feeling of like, maybe there's something in the core of all of this that I can't trust, Mm. you know, like what if the core of this is not trustworthy? And I think I remember like the night after the election, like we just opened the doors of our house. Like that was, I just put on Facebook, like come over everyone and everyone just came over and we sat around and drank wine and cried and laughed and processed but Mm -hmm. it was this strange uh like we had a we had a wake you know like that's what that was we got together and we had a, a wake for i think our own illusion of safety you know and our own illusion of like oh we don't have to really try too hard for this because like we're okay the system is safe it's going to be fine which you know there's your definition of privilege but sure is um i think there is just a moment of that and i think yeah i think that this week i've talked to a lot of people who are really getting hit hard by kind of just that sense of like oh god like i don't know how much worse this is going to get i think it's a terrifying time to be in any sort of social minority mm-hmm. right now. Um, and the weight of that is impossible to dismiss. But. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, well, but. Uh, this is another thing I was telling you earlier. For me, <laughs> when I feel this gut-wrenching twist in my, in my, in my stomach, in my gut... Um, which is a weird thing, by the way, that I haven't always been able to associate what's happening in my body with what's happening with my emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something I think I've become much more attuned to, um, in recent years, but, um, yeah, it makes me 
it, it, it does light light a, a thing in me. It does set set off a spark and um <laughs> my way of coping is to declare be very declarative about um the fact that we've got this. Mm-hmm. Like I've got you. I know you've got me. Um the texts that I've been exchanging this week, I, I was uh, I was talking with a friend, uh, Becky, Becky, who's been on this podcast. Hi, you, Becky. you guys know Becky uh, from way back in like episode three or something real early. Um, we were texting back and forth today about how the way the thing that keeps me grounded, the way I know that I'm going to be OK through this period of our our nation's history is looking at the people that I've surrounded myself with mm. and knowing that if the worst happens and the worst is happening, by the way, like we actually do have concentration camps in the country. Like there are places where families and children are, are, are locked up, like yeah. unlawfully locked up. So that is is happening. So it's actually not um, alarmist to be uh, talking about the the you know we we ha- kind of have that online trope of that's get, getting passed around a lot right now. Like what if you ever wonder what you would have done during um, you know if you if you had been present in Nazi Ger- Germany, like Nazi, yeah. like look at yourself right now. Like <laughs> that's it's kind of a you know at least for me I've seen that so much now I'm a little numb to it when it pops up, but also. We have we have internment camps yeah. in the country right now. Yeah. Um, so we're there. Like this is this is real and it's happening. And um it's not that far of a leap for me to think about um my forebears who uh you know had to wear a triangle uh and, and were herded into awful situations. Um so yeah, to be any kind of a social minority like you said right now it's like the fear Mm -hmm. the the anxiety that we're experiencing collectively is completely 100 percent valid reasonable we're not crazy you're not crazy right um but man i look around at the community that i have i I look at my chosen family you know that's one of my favorite things about being a grown-up in the Mm -hmm. world is that um and, and I love my blood family. I love most of my blood family. <laughs> um, and uh, certainly my immediately blood, immediate blood family. But I also have my chosen family. And that's something I did for me. Like, mm. I get to look at my life and say, that's, that's. Yeah, you found those people. I found those people. Right. Um, and I was, and Becky was the one I was texting with today. And I was like, you were the first, Becky. Mm. Like, you were the very first person that I made a choice about to be in relationship with when it didn't especially in my framework at that time, it didn't necessarily make sense. And I probably had some ulterior motives because I was going to super save her. Right. Um, or, you know, she was a new Christian at the time. So I was going to be her entree into our world. And, um, I mean, it just ended up being the complete opposite because Becky is my oldest friend, my oldest real, like, you know, we still are, are, I still see her regularly. We talk regularly, like we have a relationship and, um, yeah, that's a, that's something that I built and I forged and I've done it over and over and over again. And and I have so many people in my life that I know that when 
if and when the worst happens in our country, like we have each other. We do right. truly belong to each other. Yeah. And we're not going to fall. I know the people in my life who aren't going to be passive, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I know the people that are going to be there at the marches, um, you know, working on legislation, you know, signing petitions. Like, we'll be doing the thing. We'll be doing yeah. what we have to do. Making the, um, what uh, Representative Lewis uh, today tweeted, um, good, uh, good trouble, necessary trouble. Mm, um, trouble. Oh, man, right? So... Well, no, it, I mean, the reality is, like, this happens. Nations and political regimes rise and fall. And um, we've been relatively untouched by that for the vast majority of our lives. And we're still really only at the yeah. beginning of the amount of mayhem that people know more or better equipped than us have survived, you mm-hmm. know? So it's kind of this weird space to stay in where you have to acknowledge this overwhelming stress of it really is what it is. Like it's just stressful. It's endlessly stressful. And also we're at a time now where we're faced with all of it all the time in a way that we never have been. Like we've got this incredibly broad lens of everything that's happening constantly in this constant input. Whereas like 30 years ago, you could sit in your house and you wouldn't know all of this shit that's Mm. going on every day, all of the time, you know, like unless you actively turned on the news station, you could shut yourself out. And so we are in an overstimulated onslaught for the first time as a species. This is the most information that we've ever had coming at us at once. And I think we're ill-equipped. Like, I don't know Mm. if we're physically good at handling it yet we haven't evolved <laughs> like we have not like, evolved to we that don't point. know how to turn it off we're addicted to it but it's also killing us like we don't know what to do and it's funny i was thinking about this weekend i was hanging out with some friends from um high school and my one of my friends and i we used to have this thing um that i used to tell him to look at his feet all the time which was about birds of prey i read something at some point about how birds of prey when they're scanning they've got this like real far vision eyesight so they can see everywhere right and so they scan and they scan and they scan the horizon looking for things and then they look at their feet to refocus their eyes so they just look down at what's right in front of them to refocus when their vision starts to get too blurry Mm. and as you're talking i'm thinking about that that look at your feet because Mm. that's exactly what i what my my gut what my instinct says to do when I look at the scope of things and I go, oh my God, like yeah. there's nothing that I can do about any of this. Right. I am small. I start thinking about wildfires and sparks and everything starts with something small and the, the something small can only affect the things it can immediately touch. So I look down and I look for what I can immediately touch. Mm-hmm. What, can, what can I touch? Who can I touch? And I start to like hardcore tuck into relationship. Like all of a sudden I'm like, fuck everything else. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love everyone. We love (laughs) each other. Let us snuggle until the apocalypse is over because like that's the only thing I can think of to do. But I think that there really is, I mean, I think that all big change is a ripple effect. It's all motivated by small things that then send ripples out into the world and i think yeah. i think it's helpful for me and i hope that it's helpful for other people to just focus on tiny things really when the scope of it is all too much to just start focusing on little things which is why we're here mm-hmm. 
with a bunch of little things. A bunch of little today. things. Today, we can't hug you, but we can send you little hugs of things. Yeah, I, I even in thinking about if the worst were to hit, I think about, well, okay, well, what, like, what am I really going to lose in my life experience? Right. Like, what's going to make that life so bad? And... I mean, yeah, it's going to like suck maybe to be discriminated against or to be, um, you know, potentially lose your job. Like all kinds of all kinds of really bad things could happen. Maybe also, don't watch Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> <laughs> but also like the things that I love the most, we've already mentioned the one relationships, mm-hmm. those I believe in those like that's yeah. not that's not going to fall away. From me i'm gonna i'm gonna have those in my life because i make those you can cultivate that yeah anywhere you are that is yeah my power absolutely and the other thing that i i know will not fall away are these little things that we're about to like dive into because again um i can make it if i have to like right. i can sit in a you know alone in a jail cell <laughs> and make beautiful things and i can make a beautiful thing yeah so we're gonna share some of our favorite beautiful things tonight um because it just felt right. It feels like what we wanted to do. Yeah. Our time. So I think the rest of this podcast is going to turn a little bit into maybe sort of a meditation or a devotional for those of you who grew up <laughs> with that sort of thing. This is our ragtag hodgepodge devotional of beautiful things for you. Um, a love letter in hopes that they will bring you some moments of peace and inspiration. Um, maybe move you to make your own beautiful things in the midst of whatever it is that you're feeling or sitting in or working through have nothing else a moment of quiet in the chaos A tweet from Miles E. Johnson at HouseMuva on Twitter. If Beyonce herself said that she feels her success can't be quantified, why in the world would I care about her album sales or chart positions? The success is in making a good thing in a vile time. Okay, this is chapter 8 of Khalil Gibran's The Prophet uh, on joy and sorrow. Then a woman said, speak to us of joy and sorrow. And he answered, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again in your heart and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say joy is greater than sorrow. And others say, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, 
and when one sits alone with you at your board, remember that the other is asleep upon your bed. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and his silver, needs must your joy and your sorrow rise or fall. An excerpt from Chapter 2 of When Things Fall Apart by Pima Chodron. Life is like that. We don't know anything. We call something bad, we call it good, but really, we just don't know. When things fall apart and we're on the verge of we know not what, the test for each of us is to stay on that brink and not concretize. The spiritual journey is not about heaven and finally getting to a place that's really swell. In fact, that way of looking at things is what keeps us miserable. Thinking that we can find some lasting pleasure and avoid pain is what in Buddhism is called samsara, a hopeless cycle that goes round and round endlessly and causes us to suffer greatly. The very first noble truth of the Buddha points out that suffering is inevitable for human beings, as long as we believe that things last, that they don't disintegrate, that they can be counted on to satisfy our hunger for security. From this point of view, the only time we ever know what's really going on is when the rug's been pulled out and we can't find anywhere to land. We use these situations either to wake ourselves up or to put ourselves to sleep. Right now, in the very instant of groundlessness, is the seed of taking care of those who need our care and of discovering our goodness. Okay, can I go now? Golly. I'm going to read um, a piece of the introduction uh, to Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype uh, by... Clarissa Pincola Estes, uh, and this is a book that I actually haven't finished, but it's a book that you can kind of use like the Bible. You can read it in pieces, and it's taken me a while um, because every time I read a piece <laughs> of it, I lose my mind a little bit, and I have to come back later. So um, what she's talking about here is uh, women returning to sort of the wildness of their nature and this idea of the wild woman. Um, so I'm going to read you a good chunk of this. What are some of the feeling-toned symptoms of a disrupted relationship with the wildish force in the psyche? To chronically feel, think, or act in any of the following ways is to have partially severed or lost entirely the relationship with the deep, instinctual psyche. Using women's language exclusively, these are feeling extraordinarily dry, fatigued, frail, depressed, confused, gagged, muzzled, unaroused, feeling frightened, halt or weak, without inspiration, without animation, without soulfulness, without meaning, shame-bearing, chronically fuming, volatile, stuck, uncreative, compressed, crazed, feeling powerless, chronically doubtful, shaky, blocked, unable to follow through, giving one's creative life over to others, life-sapping choices in mates, work or friendship, Suffering to live outside one's own cycles, overprotective of self, inert, uncertain, faltering, 
inability to pace oneself or set limits, not insistent on one's own tempo, to be self-conscious, to be away from one's God or gods, to be separated from one's revivification. It's hard for me every time, guys. Drawn far into domesticity, intellectualism, work, or inertia, because that is the safest place for one who has lost her instincts. To fear to venture by oneself or to reveal oneself. Fear to seek mentor, mother, father. Fear to set out one's imperfect work before it is an opus. Fear to set out on a journey. Fear of caring for another or others. Fear one will run on, run out, run down, cringing before authority, loss of energy before creative projects, wincing, humiliation, angst, numbness, anxiety, afraid to bite back when there is nothing else left to do, afraid to try the new, fear to stand up, afraid to speak up, speak against, sick stomach, butterflies, sour stomach, cut in the middle, strangled, becoming conciliatory, or nice too easily, revenge. Afraid to stop afraid to act, repeatedly counting to three and not beginning, superiority complex, ambivalence, and yet otherwise fully capable, fully functioning. These severances are a disease not of an era or a century, but become an epidemic anywhere and any time women are captured, any time the wildish nature has become entrapped. A healthy woman is much like a wolf, robust, chock-full, strong life force, life-giving, territorially aware, inventive, loyal, roving, Yet separation from the wildish nature causes a woman's personality to become meager, thin, ghostly, spectral. We are not meant to be puny with frail hair and inability to leap up, inability to chase, to birth, to create a life. When women's lives are in stasis or filled with ennui, it is always time for the wildish woman to emerge. It is time for the creating function of the psyche to flood the delta. How does wild woman affect women? With her as ally. A leader, model, teacher, we see not through two eyes, but through the eyes of intuition, which is many-eyed. When we assert intuition, we are therefore like the starry night. We gaze at the world through a thousand eyes. The wild nature carries the bundles for healing. She carries everything a woman needs to be and know. She carries the medicine for all things. She carries stories and dreams and words and songs and signs and symbols. She is both vehicle and destination. To adjoin the instinctual nature does not mean to come undone, change everything from left to right, from black to white, to move the east to west, to act crazy or out of control. It does not mean to lose one's primary socializations or to become less human. It means quite the opposite. The wild nature has a vast integrity to it. It means to establish territory, to find one's pack, to be in one's body with certainty and pride regardless of the body's gifts and limitations to speak and act in one's behalf, to be aware, alert, to draw on the innate feminine powers of intuition and sensing, to come into one's cycles, to find what one belongs to, to rise with dignity, to retain as much consciousness as possible. The archetype of the wild woman and all that stands behind her is patroness to all painters, writers, sculptors, dancers, thinkers, prayer makers, seekers, finders, for they are all busy within the work of invention, and that is the instinctive nature's main occupation. As in all art, she resides in the guts, not in the head. She can track and run and summon and repel. She can sense, camouflage, and love deeply. She is intuitive, typical, and normative. She is utterly essential to women's mental and soul health. So what comprises the wild woman? From the viewpoint of archetypal psychology, as well as in ancient traditions, she is the female soul. Yet she is more. She is the source of the feminine. 
She is all that is of instinct, of the worlds both seen and hidden. She is the basis. We each receive from her a glowing cell which contains all the instincts and knowings needed for our lives. She is the life, death, life, force. She is the incubator. She is intuition. She is far-seer. She is deep listener. She is loyal heart. She encourages humans to remain multilingual, fluent in the languages of dreams, passion, and poetry. She whispers from night dreams. She leaves behind on the terrain of a woman's soul a coarse hair and muddy footprints. These fill women with longing to find her, free her, and love her. She has ideas, feelings, urges, and memory. She has been lost and half forgotten for a long, long time. She is the source, the light, the night, the dark, and daybreak. She is the smell of good mud and the back leg of the fox. The birds which tell us secrets belong to her. She is the voice that says, this way, this way. She is the one who thunders after injustice. She is the one who turns like a great wheel. She is the maker of cycles. She is the one we leave home to look for. She is the one we come home to. She is the mucky root of all women. She is the things that keep us going when we think we're done for. She is the incubator of raw little ideas and deals. She is the mind which thinks us. We are the thoughts that she thinks. Where is she present? Where can you feel her? Where can you find her? She walks the deserts, woods, oceans, cities, in the barrios, and in castles. She lives among queens, among campesinas, in the boardroom, in the factory, in the prison, in the mountain of solitude. She lives in the ghetto, at the university, and in the streets. She leaves footprints for us to try for size. She leaves footprints wherever there is one woman who is fertile soil. Where does she live? At the bottom of the well, in the headwaters, in the ether before time. She lives in the tear and in the ocean. She lives in the cambia of trees, which pings as it grows. She is from the future and from the beginning of time. She lives in the past and is summoned by us. She is in the present and keeps a chair at our table, stands behind us in line, and drives ahead of us on the road. She is the future and walks backward in time to find us now. She lives in the green poking through snow. She lives in the rustling stalks of dying autumn corn. She lives where the dead come to be kissed and the living send their prayers. She lives in the place where language is made. She lives on poetry and percussion and singing. She lives on quarter notes and grace notes and in a cantata, in a sestina, and in the blues. She is the moment just before inspiration bursts upon us. She lives in a faraway place that breaks through to our world. People may ask for evidence, for proof of her existence. They are essentially asking for proof of the psyche. Since we are the psyche, we are also the evidence. Each and every one of us is the evidence of not only Wild Woman's existence, but of her condition in the collective. We are the proof of this ineffable female Newman. Our existence parallels hers. Our experiences of her within and without are the proofs. Our thousands and millions of encounters with her intraphysically through our night dreams and our day thoughts, through our yearnings and our inspirations, these are the verifications. The fact that we are bereft in her absence, that we long and yearn when we are separated from her. These are the manifestations that she has passed this way.
one of the good things that I have been just soaking in lately has been um, lesbian stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I made that joke online. I think that uh, the only opinions I care to hear anymore come from lesbian comics. And that's only half sincere. I mean, I kind of care about other opinions still, but mostly yeah. you have to be a lesbian comic right now for me to like want to know what you think, which I think is fair. <laughs> um, we've gone most of history without lesbian comics opinions mattering. It's so. about damn time. It's about damn time. Yeah, so, here. I mean, I've already, we've already talked ad nauseum at length on this podcast about Cameron Esposito Cameron and Esposito. how much uh, we love her and her special rape jokes is certainly a thing that's a really good balm for this time. Especially if you like my face. <laughs> <laughs> Karen's face is in the corner for like a good third of it. It's, it's real great. awkward. Um, cause we were there for the taping. So definitely go watch rape jokes. That one's free at Cameron Esposito.com. And, um, and she's taking donations and donating 100% of the proceeds to rain, uh, which is the nation's largest, uh, sexual, uh, assault, um, survivor nonprofit organization. So, um, that's one. And then another that has just ripped me from end to end, um, is Hannah Gadsby. Nanette mm. is the name of Hannah Gadsby's special on Netflix. And I mean, I had never heard of Hannah before. It just popped up in my what's new on Netflix thing. And I, and I, I was like, oh, she looks queer. And that's a stand-up comic. And I love stand-up comedy. Perfect. I'm watching that. Um, <laughs> Someone whose opinion I care about. <laughs> exactly. So I am really glad I was home alone the night I watched this because... I mean, you get through the first half of it and it's cute and quirky and you're like, all right, yeah, this is great. Like, I'm enjoying this. And then Hannah Gatsby just has some, the truthiest truth bombs, I think, that have ever been dropped on me. She takes you to church. Yeah, she does. She took me to church and to confession and to the wailing wall. Mm -hmm. Literally, I was a mess wailing in my house, home alone, with the windows open. So I hope the neighbors, you know, no one called anybody, so that was good. But um, I can't recommend this good thing uh, to you enough. And I was really having trouble putting um, words to why it had impacted me so much. Um, and then today, actually, I read a review on theatlantic.com uh, by Sophie Gilbert. Um, and Sophie had this to say about, this is just an excerpt of her review, and I wanted to read it for you because it got a little bit, it got to the the core of what made this special so powerful for me. So, Sophie says, As a genre, comedy is accustomed to meltdowns, to public cries for help. But Nanette is different. What's made this special such a, such a striking word-of-mouth hit for Netflix, if you're reading this, you've either likely watched it or been told by someone that you have to, is how precise... How surgical Gadsby is as she skewers comedy's structural inability to make things better. Comedians like her, she explains, take their trauma and feed it into humor. But in doing so, they crystallize their lives within that moment of tension, that particular punchline, rather than allowing themselves to reach an endpoint of admittedly unfunny catharsis. Hannah says, You learn from the part of the story you focus on. I need to tell my story properly. And when she got to that part, I Mm. was a weeping ball of just mush. um, Because the truth in that is, 
that we, it's not just comics that <laughs> crystallize these moments in their lives and, and have arrested development around something because we, we, um, we've solidified something in our memory or our mind or our experience. And we, and, and we say it is this, right. it is this thing. And, and maybe it's in, in a moment of tension, like for Hannah, that the tension is what creates that, the comedy and what gave her, what gives her a living, what, you know, makes her life possible. Right. Um, but she's also acknowledged in this thing, what she owns, mm-hmm. her piece of that. Um, the, the, the way that she has, allowed herself to stall in those places because she never Mm. fully told her story. She never told the whole thing. Um, And I'm not going to give anything away about the story that um, she didn't tell, but she had a joke that she told for years and years. um, And she would end the joke before the story. You know, it's a story about that really happened to her, something that happened to her in real life. And she would end it before she got to the end of the actual story because it was no longer funny after this point. Um, And so... Uh, I mean, for me, uh, it just, the, the special, it opens up new spaces for queer people, but probably also for any people. And you can probably attest to that, right, Karen? Because I told you to watch it and you did. Thank I did. You. And I, yeah, I think that there are definitely some themes in there that are going to resonate mostly probably with people who have lived some sort of queer experience. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think we all have stories that we tell. And stories that we tell incorrectly or stories that we keep ourselves sort of mired in. Um, so yeah, I was I was a neighbor, also a neighbor alarming mess mm-hmm. as well, watching that. And um, and if nothing else, just the beauty of her shameless, bold, gorgeous undoing mm. of all of it. It was perfect. It was perfect that to watch. That is the perfect word for it, undoing. And Just, that's what it does for the viewer too. Yeah, she takes you right with her and it's good. We need that. We need all of that. We need to be undone in ways that are helpful and healing. Yeah. Instead of just ways that are traumatic. Like being undone in these like vulnerable, beautiful healing ways. Let's do yeah. that all of the time. Yeah. And in ways that that acknowledge both what the world has done to us, but also like owning our part in that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you know, I, 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 sometimes I struggle with that because it, coming out of evangelicalism, like mm-hmm. so much of the, me- the messaging is, you know, you're bad, you're right. sinful, you are not a fuck up because they wouldn't say that, but, um, but it's all, you know, it's all you. So I, I struggle sometimes with like owning my piece in mm-hmm. the story and, and what I did to myself, but Hannah helped me get there. I mean, in telling our stories properly, um, in owning the role that we've played in our own arrested development, um, she taught us how taught me um, how to use our power like nothing else, nothing that's been given to us, just our own inborn ineffable right to dignity to better mm-hmm. ourselves and our own experience in the world. And so I just I can't recommend Nanetta to you enough. I love that we're using the word ineffable ineffable so much. <laughs> I can't even say it. I like it so much. We've said ineffable like six times tonight. That's great. Um, it's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. And I feel like also it's important to say like in the midst of all this sad, sad, sadness, like that the wailing and the weeping and all the crying, I don't want to speak for you, but I think in general, like it's a very hopeful, it was a battle cry what she did. Oh, like yeah. it's not a, this was not a despair cry. Mm-hmm. This was a fucking warrior cry mm, and it yeah. was gorgeous. Like it was beautiful, beautiful. Um, and also, did you watch the thing that Derek Webb recommended, the Miracle? One? No, I haven't yet. Okay, so an interesting follow-up. If you would like to have a weepy, a weepy Netflix experience, 
in tandem, I would suggest Nanette and then watch. It's called Miracle. I don't remember the name of the guy that does it. I don't want to call him a magician, although it is magic e. Mm-hmm. Um quite the juxtaposition those two things you take this one very rough thing and you go into this weird magic show yeah but it's all about the stories we tell oh. and it's about um how powerful those stories that we tell ourselves are uh so it's kind of a cool twin set to nice. experience and if you need to come down off of the heaviness of the one and go into some fun um sort of magic-y illusion-y stuff that then will also make you cry by the end but that's fine um <laughs> If you've if you've got a night to binge things, yeah, it's a good set. Get some get some snacks, popcorn, mm. some wine if you like that sort of thing. There you go. Sit down. And Nanette and miracle tissues. <laughs> Maybe a friend, or not. If you or just not. want to wail alone in your house, depending on your <laughs> orientation when it comes to humans, either get a support human or get all the humans the fuck away. One or the other. Worth doing. The sky has fully opened wide The last lonely cloud has moved aside Immense and fully filled with stars Venus, Mercury and Miles from there to here, what soul could pioneer? But I would fly to worlds unknown if I believed they held my home. When I wake up, will you be gone? Which side of the mountain will I find you on? If I promise not to make a sound, might I feel the resonance from holy this book this new poetry book that i love it's called wild a rite of passage but that's w-h-y-l-d wild a right w-r-i-t-e of passage (laughs) being on a podcast is fun um it's by azure antoinette varos and um i had the pleasure of meeting and listening to azure in denver when i was there um and she is phenomenal she has been called like the millennial Maya Angelou. Like she's pretty fantastic. And I find this new book of hers um, 
peaceful. It's peaceful. Even in it, there are pieces in here that are not peaceful. The piece I'm about to read to you is not peaceful. This is the word peace is being used a lot. Um, there's disruption in this book, but the overall feeling of it is just, it's just a hug of a book. It's so warm and wonderful. And I highly, highly, highly recommend picking it up. There's a lot of beautiful poetry in here that she wrote for her wife. Um, a lot of just like restful, gorgeous, lovey, dovey magic. It's wonderful. Um, I'm going to read you the 74th poem in the book. Um, and I, I would advise you to pick it up. Um, but I'm going to read this and try to do it a remote bit of justice. Um, and it begins with a quote. It says, truth is I spend so much of my free time reminiscing and wishing I were a kid again. Do you remember waiting for that first day of school after a long summer break, your crisp backpack, your new lunchbox, the stickers, folders, and the few unnecessary items you conned your parents into buying you? That first day was always epic. There was no division, just a race to the sandbox or the lunch line or the sheer panic when you realized that all three Tiffany's in your class had birthdays in the same week. Growing up, we were all friends. Her hair was fire engine red, his freckles the size of M&M's. Their olive skin, red cheeks, long legs, and chubby fingers. Only difference was the decals on our bicycles. When did the playground become a battlefield, a space of lines and groups and silos mimicking these divided United States? When the seasons changed from sandbox compassion to bullying and gossip, I remembered thanking the universe for the few that stood by and helped me off the ground or ate lunch with me in the bathroom the friends that didn't let their own popularity eclipse their humanity. They were the ones that provided safe haven when Ian and Michael came back to school as more than just friends. They were the ones that respected Evelyn and her sunset and transitioned to Edward. Yes, they were the ones that shielded Sean and Michelle before the media decided that black lives even mattered. They were the ones that kept my covenant when I couldn't bear the thought of doing anything but staying in because coming out, that was for girls who knew their bellies could never be yellow. I want to tell you that equality campaigns, viral videos, and numerous sound bites vowing the resilient comeback of humanity and kindness make my mouth break into a smile wider than the Tahitian sunrise itself. I want to tell you that my voice doesn't tremble when I see an unfamiliar space, but then this poem would be fiction. I'll say this, being different is journey worth living. Coming out was the only way I started fitting in. There are days where I am terrified to face the headlines, too many slain in the name of a cross, a government party, or amendments that have long since needed amending. I know that it is hard, that we don't know one another well, but I beg you to keep the faith. I beg you to remember that we must speak our truth, even when our spine quakes and our palms weep. I beg you to remember the power of your voice to boldly demand its presence even when the words that fear themselves hide in the base of your throat. It is then that you must summon them forward. Our silence is not only consent, it is complicit acceptance. No matter who you love, we know right from wrong. May we champion good again. We, the highlighted minority, the allies, the black and brown-faced, the queer, the quietly flamboyant, the culturally reserved, the wild children of this acronym society, we have to stand up. Don't fret about your posture being straight, the color lives in the slant, in the bent spines, in the bellies that aren't just yellow, they are chock full of rainbow. We have to root ourselves in the battleground. 
crawling through the concrete to break the cemented ideals of a manufactured equality. We have to return to the sandbox, to the monkey bars, to kickball courts. We must take joy in the midday birthday sweets, the days where the daylight allows us to play outside a bit longer than usual. May you never grow weary in your well-doing, you the gay, the free, the black, the brown-faced, the breast, the womb, the disenchanted, the outlasted. This is not a fight. This is not a war. This is our legacy. May we fill the air with a song of solidarity, off-key, pitch slight, yet exploding with heart. May this song become a battle cry. May you fall in love with those unlike you. May you kiss their spirit with gratitude and fraternity. It will take all of us, the ally, the different, the straight, the pale, the rainbow, the rust, the grist. We're the same, you know. You and I, she that identifies he, him that is they, we that bellows in laughter at the binary construct. In this turbulent time of misappropriation, racial warfare, and human apathy, we must hold on. I am tired, too. I want to leave, too. Too many mornings I have entertained and indulged in the persuasion of giving up. I know the road is long, but how gorgeous is this world with you? Days like today, my hope feels limitless. My capacity to love and accept feels boundless. To paraphrase Buzz, I'd venture to say my hope stretches past infinity and beyond. Disclaimer on this meditation on a good thing, uh, which I've decided, by the way, is going to be the title of the episode. I like it. <laughs> um, I haven't read the book that I'm about to read an excerpt from. From uh, I've only read this introduction, which uh, this is a paragraph from the introduction. Um, the book is Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. And uh, I, I read another one of his books, The Naked Now, that was pretty wild uh, for me, transformative for me. Um, and so I picked this one up at the recommendation of some other people who've read a lot of Roar. Mm-hmm. And um, we've also talked about Roar on this, this podcast. I've read had, a lot of Roar. Yeah, he, he had that great uh, episode on Pete Holmes, uh, You Made It Weird. Yeah. That's just like, de- we call it Deconstruction 101. Um but I read this introduction and it just kind of fucked with me in a big way and I had to put it down for a minute. So that's why I haven't read the whole thing yet. But you have, right? I have. I read it all in one night. <laughs> oh, my God. How did um, you do that? I cried a lot. Yeah. Um, but I was so hungry at that point. for I listened to him on the podcast and then I bought this book. Mm. And I was so hungry for language for what I was experiencing. Yeah. I was so hungry for just any words that would help to capture what I was feeling and the enormity of what I was feeling as I was losing God and deconstructing. Uh, and this book did that for me. So highly recommend. Mm. 10 out of 10 would read again. <laughs> um, and I will read it. Yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> I, I but the intro is it. great. So Yeah, so here's a paragraph from the introduction. Most of us are never told that we can set out from the known and the familiar to take on a further journey. <laughs> I'm already... Yep. God damn it. Here we go. <sighs> Back that up, rewind it. Here we go. <sighs> Most of us are never told that we can set out from the known and the familiar to take on a further journey. Our institutions and our expectations 
including our churches, are almost entirely configured to encourage, support, reward, and validate the tasks of the first half of life. Shocking and disappointing, but I think it is true. We are more struggling to survive than to thrive, more just getting through or trying to get to the top than finding out what is really at the top or was already at the bottom. Thomas Merton, the American monk, pointed out that we may spend our whole life climbing the ladder of success only to find when we get to the top that our ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Most of us in the first half of life suspect that all is not fully working, and we are probably right. It was not meant to stand alone. We are just told to build a nice basement and some kind of foundation for the house, but not given any plans or even a hint that we also needed to build an actual living room upstairs, let let alone a nutritious kitchen or an erotic bedroom, and much less our own chapel. So many, if not most of us, settle for the brick and mortar of first-stage survival and never get to what I will be calling the unified field of life itself. As Bill Plotkin, a wise guide, puts it, many of us learn to do our survival dance, but we never get to our actual sacred dance. listening to the last one. (laughs) This is The Journey by Mary Oliver. One day, you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. just a couple good things left to meditate on. Karen, will you tell me what I'm about to read? Yeah, you are (laughs) about to read a poem that I handed to you a little while ago out of Neil Hilburn's book. Uh, It's called The Future. The poem is also called The Future. Uh, If you guys aren't familiar, well, a lot of you have probably seen one or two of his viral videos floating around Facebook. Uh, If you haven't, you can go to Button Poetry on Facebook and watch him perform his stuff live. He does great spoken word stuff um and his perspective is cool um and i like this poem it comes from a place of darkness Mm. and light 
So again, this is The Future by Neil Hilborn. The worst thing about being naked and then being hit by a car is that road rash is a problem for the skin. Why was I naked in the middle of the road at noon? I'm glad you asked. Imaginary other half of this conversation, I have (laughs) no idea. Some characteristics of bipolar disorder can include disassociation, hallucinations, and fugue states. So sometimes I wake up in places I didn't go to sleep. So there I am, nude, splayed out on the hood of a car like a slutty chicken. And I'm screaming about the government conspiracy to take away my feet. Not my real feet. Just my brain feet. I'm about six inches away from the concrete when I realize in slow motion, like the exact opposite of a rhinoceros attack, this is not how I imagined my life would turn out. When I was little, I broke both my ankles jumping off a roof because I was sure a cape would enable me to fly. My parents attributed this to my strong imagination. Last year, my therapist called it a delusion. I failed to see the difference. Also, I really can fly and see the future and make stupid people leave coffee shops with my mind, 43% of the time. Sometimes, I see people as colors. The point is, here is a list of things my brain has told me to do. Join a cult. Start a cult. Become a cabinet maker. Kill myself. So, in essence, become a cabinet maker. Break into and then paint other people's houses. Have sex with literally everyone who reminds me of my mother. Fight animals that are much fightier than me, like bears, so in essence, kill myself. I think a lot about killing myself, not like a point on a map, but rather like a glowing exit sign at a show that's never been quite bad enough to make me want to leave. See, when I'm up, I don't kill myself because, holy shit, there's so much left to do. When I'm down, I don't kill myself because then the sadness would be over, and the sadness is my old paint under the new. The sadness is the house fire or the broken shoulder. I'd still be me without it, but I'd be so boring. They keep telling me seeing things that aren't technically there is called disturbed cognitive functioning. I call it having a superpower. Once, I pulled over on the freeway and jumped out of my old Jeep because I saw it burst into flames 20 seconds before it actually burst into flames. I knew my girlfriend and I would be together because she turned bright pink the first time she saw me. I know tomorrow is going to come because I've seen it. Sunrise is going to come. All you have to do is wake up. The future has been at war, but it's coming home so soon. The future is the map and the treasure. The future looks like a child in a cape. The future is just like gravity. Everyone is slowly drifting toward everyone else. We are all going to be part of each other one day. The future is a blue sky and a full tank of gas. I saw the future. I did. And in it, I was alive. Remember nights, the pain owned every single thought My body begged to bleed just to feel it somewhere 
nights when fate was louder than any other voice Sing you about to this There's a bind that squeezes life right out your chest You cannot even fathom breaking free Sometimes you go through hell just to make it through one night And in the morning you are spent What I know I learn slow Let's
This poem is called Storms, um, and I wrote it at someone, as you often do, and then read it back and realized that I was really writing sort of to myself, um, the me and me that was in hiding at the time. So. You've spent a long time now quieting storms. Sacrificing your fists to open palm service the sandbag walls you build against your anger, clinging to roots in the cellar, secretly hoping the house will blow down, and I am skeptical of your smooth waters. I would like to bear witness to the weight of your flood. Forgive me. I'd also like to curl sideways with you on Sunday mornings, stay in bed for the hell of it, lie still on the sand and count stars. I would like to sleep in the melodic lull of your heartful conversations. I would like to rest and belong in the calm, lilting hull of you. But too long now, you've been quieting storms. I've seen you swallow lightning. Watched the shock sting drip down the length of you, cringed at the electric hollow acquiescence of your empty yes. Sang along with the full-bellied desperation songs you sling to drown out the thunder, sat like a child at the foot of the stories you tell to dispel the tsunami rising that's flooding your floor, and you have been looking for love that will wrap around you like safe basement walls. Love like a hatch anchor to shut out the wind rage. Love that will lock up the doors and take you into its mouth, whispering, it's okay, sugar. All your noise will never find us in here. There is more to love than safe haven. Love is the homestead ripped from its hinges, swirling and ready to ride you to Oz. Love wants to open the catastrophe you carry beneath your collarbone. Love wants the riot of your betrayals and the resentment of your scorching rebellion. Love demands you seething, the sweat and swell of you, the charlatan darkness, the powerful shame of your low, your most brutal, unlovable, natural disaster of a soul. Love seeks the tornado wound of your segregation because love wants you reconciled and holy and the morning after rest of your body weary with survival. Love is the nourishing sleep of the truly alive. Love is the fearless open peaceful love is the woven only whole love is the burden and the flood of you love is the storm and only after you've freed it love is the rainbow see desire is a skeleton i was told to keep in her closet but you are the crookedest stubborn key you are the kiss that will wake her you are Sunday mornings, and the hurricane that rips off the door. So there you have it. Uh, so much crying. <laughs> so many tears. But therapy is uh, good therapy. It was good for me. I feel so much better right now than I did at the beginning yeah, again, this night, actually. highly recommend if you guys, if you're overwhelmed, you people, mm. sit down and read Do some beautiful this. things. Do this. Get send your friends us, together. Get in the huddle. Send us your beautiful yeah. things. We'll huddle up and do some beautiful things there. But oh, like, totally. Let's do beautiful things in the huddle. Get some real people in your space, though, if you can do it. Get some face-to-face -face time with friends and just share beautiful things. Honestly, what could be better right now than just having people that you love and trust in your home so and, good and doing that 
So good. And then when you're done with that, when you're all high on doing reading your beautiful things, go do something ridiculous. Go mm. jump in the ocean or play laser <laughs> tag or run down your street screaming, I sound my barbaric yelp over the rooftops of the world. I don't care what you do. Stand on your countertop. Do something inspired and silly and remember that you can play and that there is laughter. Yeah. And that those are the things that will build and sustain and drive the revolution. Damn it. Good things in vile times, baby. Play laser tag. Hmm. Um, and watch Randy Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> the, Randy Rainbow, the last good thing the last good thing left is randy rainbow's video um his latest one the what the fuck you guys want it's just called what wtf <laughs> don't watch it with your children whatever or um, do if you like them hearing the f word over and over again i love like i don't know if you've all been watching randy rainbow's videos since before the election yeah. i've been watching him since the you know all the campaigning was going on and he just is such a little sassy bringer of light and mm -hmm. um relief but i love this one because it feels like he finally is just like fuck all y'all yeah. like i don't know what this is like i know i, I have a up. job because of all of this right now but oh my god <laughs> like seriously like what is happening so worth your watch randy rainbow on facebook is that WTF. Is, is that song parody from legally blonde what is that the fuck what the fuck you parody? guys Maybe because I don't know it, yeah, so it could be. That. I'm not familiar. Really I haven't blonde. seen. I, someone take me to see Legally Blonde. Anybody? Yeah. So because I feel like it's my birthright. A B L Woods D Bend and Snap. <laughs> like I don't know. I just they're making like, a Le Legally Blonde three. By the way, did you know I this? Know. Like it's Reese is exciting. making the third. Anything that Reese does usually and comes out. This well. is completely unrelated, but you'll appreciate it. Yeah. They're staging Cursed Child in San Fran. What? Yeah. Oh. So, road trip? Yeah, 100%. We'll do another trip. car episode. 100%. It'll be 10 <laughs> hours long. We're going to San Francisco. No, I don't think so. Well, if we're Eight. going all the way to San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, no, I just did it. It was fine. It's like seven hours. Um, we could fly there. Maybe it might be cheaper than driving yeah. at this point. Um, we love you guys. We sure do, heathens. We sure do love you. Yeah. Um, you're the good ones. Mm -hmm. Hang in there. Yeah. Meditate on some good things. Take your time. Take your breaths, take a nap, stick around because we need you. Thanks for listening to Heathen. We're here every week. And in the meantime, if you miss us, you can find us in the following ways. Follow at Heathen Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email at askheathen at gmail.com, especially if you have feedback or ideas for future episodes. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and that helps other people find Heathen. And if you'd like to contribute to this community for people who need a soft place to land as they move away from bad religion, you can support Heathen on Patreon at patreon.com slash heathen podcast well thank you for your support with exclusive bonus content which you know is going to be freaking awesome wherever you find yourself in this space of godless spirituality spiritual godlessness or anywhere in between you're not alone we're glad you're here here's to the heathens <laughs> <laughs>